Hey, Cyril. How you doing, my brother? I'm doing great. How about you? Uh, now that I see you, I'm feeling much better. Yeah, my my cat decided to join us today. I told her that we were uh, doing a podcast, and she said she really wants to do this. So she <laughs> she would uh, hang out on my lap and and do her first podcast. Perfect. Hi, I'm Cyril, your host, and welcome to my podcast that I called I Really Want to Do This. In this podcast, I interview guests from all walks of life and try to understand the various ways that different types of people with different backgrounds and experiences succeed in achieving their goals in their very own ways. Think of the past 10 years in your own life. Have you had a personal goal, an objective? Maybe you call it a dream of doing this one thing. You really want to do that one thing, whatever it may be, but for some reason, you never succeeded in making it actually happen. Well, by showcasing successful achievers and asking them how they did it, I sincerely hope that this podcast will give you some ideas and maybe answers on where to start, how to proceed, in order to actually do that one thing that you really want to do. Hi everyone, this is Cyril. I'm your host and today we have a very good guest and in fact he's not a stranger to me. He's he's like a brother to me. His name is Carlo. Uh, Tiago calls him Carlos, <laughs> but to the rest of the world, he's known Carlo. And uh, Carlo, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Cyril. I'm excited. And uh, yeah, we, we do have a pretty good history together. Um, spent quite a bit of time together over the years and, and you know, ditto, ditto that, that you're like a brother to me. Oh, fantastic. Um, so I want people to get to know you. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense to know where you were born and where do you live now? And, and between those two moments, where did you go? So tell us in your own words, what, uh, what is it? Yeah. I mean, I was born here in California, in Santa Clara, California. Um, and now I live uh, amazingly 15 miles away from Santa Clara. So in, in Fremont. Um, <laughs> I've been a local to Bay Area and have stayed in the Bay Area. So, you know, it's, it is an interesting question because I think you are so much a product of your environment. It really talks a lot about, you know, where you grew up and, and those kind of things. And, yeah. and obviously, you know, uh, I feel very privileged to, to have grown up in the Bay Area. Um, Long before tech, you know, we, we, we were born with, without cell phones and, and computers yeah. weren't around, not to date ourselves, but, uh, you know, back in the day, there was no Silicon Valley. It, it used to all be prune and apricot orchards and, and you know, the, the whole oh, sandwich. Wow, that's right. Yeah. 
Bay Area has has really developed a lot. And my great grandparents, uh, you know, had a prune uh, orchard, and and so you know, uh, I say I'm from the Bay Area, but you know, people's understanding of the Bay Area today is quite a bit different than it was 45 years ago, right? I do think that you know we're often a product of our environment. And, and that's not a bad thing. That's not necessarily a good thing, but I think it really sort of shapes a lot of when you look at who you are, how, you know, how you grew up and those things have really, you know, played a part. And, and that's not to say that you can't create your own environment either. You know, I think it's important for people to not necessarily put themselves in a bucket and say, well, I grew up in this area and therefore this is who I am, you know? Um, But it's something to really think about like, Hey, you know, my, my experiences were all based on where I grew up and, and the people who were around me when I was growing up in the Hills, you know, it didn't used to all be houses. There was plenty of open fields and things like that. I remember running around in, in fields and mud and, you know, uh, going up and down hills, playing. Really? Uh, oh yeah. I mean, San Jose was was not what it what it is now. Yeah. Back then, um, and so you know, those experiences have a lot about uh, just building your your understanding of the world and who you are. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know uh, always a good thing um, to look at it and and kind of take the positives out of out of your, you know, uh, growing up. Mm. So, you know, to then just kind of follow up on your question, you asked where, where else I've gone. Um, and I have been pretty fortunate to get to travel. My parents would always try to do some sort of summer vacation. In the beginning, it was always local. And then once we were a little bit older, we did get to do some international travel. And, you know, those kind of experiences also are, are very eye-opening. Yeah, totally. For me, international exposure should be mandatory before starting a job. You know, it's having a vision of other cultures and languages and, and different filters is so enriching. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it is. And, and when you're a guest and, you know, when you're a traveler and, and going to another country, um, you know, I, I think your openness to what you're experiencing is so much more than per se when when you're at home right you 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 have an understanding that this is your home and and this is you know what you what your tolerances are for where you live and you might not be as open um just because it's your you know you look at it as it's this is my local area this is you know my territory so to speak and then you go travel and and suddenly you're you're the guest and yeah. you're the person who's not the local and you really have to then take Humble a step yourself. back exactly yeah. and and i think you know those experiences are obviously really key for how we look at other people how we empathize with other cultures how we learn that the, the way that we do things isn't necessarily the best way or the worst way it's just the way that we do things but there's other cultures and other countries that do things in other ways and learning from those experiences, I think plays a lot into, you know, how you approach everyday situations. Yeah. And then after you've done that for a few years, then you can decide to go on a boat for 40 days with an Icelandic, a French guy and a Brazilian. (laughs) (laughs) Right. 
Right. Yeah. That that's uh, for people who don't know. We 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 got a chance to uh, row together across the Pacific Ocean, uh, a four person boat with with four people from four different countries. Yeah. Oh, that was a good learning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, fantastic! Tell me about uh, your childhood and family environment and. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I like to tell this story um, because it's a, it's a little bit uh, mind blowing for for most people. But, you know, my mom used to be a nun and my dad used to be a priest. So <laughs> I, I, yeah, I grew up in a very Catholic environment, but it was one of those things where they made the decision to leave and, and start a family. And at the time, you know, there were lots of priests and nuns leaving to start a family. And so, you know, we go on a vacation to Tahoe to go skiing and, and everybody who was there were ex priests and ex nuns who had yeah. left to start a family. So I assume that everybody's parents used to be <laughs> priests and nuns. I mean, that's, that's how like, you know, that's how many ex-priests and nuns we, we knew and it was something where you know that was just part of our families and it wasn't anything out of the normal yeah. um, so we did grow up in, in kind of a religious environment uh, I wouldn't say I'm a practicing Catholic anymore um, obviously I'm, I feel very spiritual but uh, you know that's that's kind of my own personal spirituality but it, it did shape a lot of how we grew up and obviously You know, there's a lot of Catholic values that are very important when you look at the overreaching, you know, sort of love your neighbor and, and those mm -hmm. kind of things. Like, uh, I think those are definite yeah. um, kind of models that you shape your life about and has definitely shaped how I view people and, and the world. Tell me about the moment where you decided or you told your parents that you were not a practicing Catholic. I was the same, but let me tell you my story. So I was raised in France, Catholic. I was actually a altar boy on the Sunday morning in church, you know, in the white dress and bringing the incense and all that stuff. So pretty practicing, you know, and, and you do the first communion and second communion and you go through all the steps and you believe in God because mostly when you're young, it's because you're being told, right? You're being taught that. And then when I was 25, I did my trip around the world. And then I realized, wow, I'm in Indonesia. They all believe in, in their Islamic, you know. And then I, you go to India and then believe in Ganesh, who's got an elephant head. And then you go to Guatemala and they believe in, in different gods. And, and I just realized, well, okay, depending on where you're born, you believe in a different god. You know, there's like different form, different picture of what God is. But in the end, we all believe that there's something bigger than us. And, and it, each culture will just depict it the way their culture does. If you ask an Indian from India to paint a tree, they're going to paint a tree in the Indian way, like Indian culture. You ask an American guy or a guy from Nigeria to paint the same tree, they're going to paint it differently. So in the end, I just realized, okay, we're all talking about the same thing. And, and what is the one that talks the more to me? And, and at some point I had to tell my parents, you know, I actually don't really think that the Catholic way is, 
is uh, my way. I think my way is probably be connected to nature. And when, I, when I'm in the ocean, I feel the oneness. When I'm in a, in a forest, I feel that energy and, and connectedness, even with people. I can see, you could call it God or the connectedness with other people when you see them, right? And that was more my own way. So I created my own spirituality. Did you have a moment in, in your life where you said... He- yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Um, you know, I, I was studying Native American spirituality for for a while, and that's actually w- when I went to college. I was going to major in Native American uh, studies, um, and it, it was just fascinating to me to kind of learn how other cultures handled religion, and then also got uh, doing some Eastern e- Eastern religion classes and and understanding you know buddhism taoism or or learning about them not understanding per se but learning about them and you're right you know it's one of those things where each culture has a way of identifying their origins uh their creation um and it's something that plays a lot into how those cultures view quote-unquote religion um and how they connect with the world and and so i think it's it's something where you know, uh, kind of chicken and the egg. Is it our humans desire to explain our creation, how our origin that creates religion, or is it that there really is a religion? Um, and it's something that each it presents itself differently to each culture. And that's, how, you, yeah. you know, the, those cultures have developed and, and, you know, kind of turned that into their religion and, and who they pray to or who they connect to in, in a spiritual way. Um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And I, I think, I think the first, you know, when I went to college was kind of what, when I stopped uh, going to mass per se. And, and, you know, my mom, my mom knew, cause she was like, Oh, what time is mass on Sundays at, at school, Carlo? And I'd be like, Oh yeah, yeah you know, eight o'clock and I, somewhere around there. Um, and she's like, yeah. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not gone. <laughs> uh, mom know everything. <laughs> uh. Tell me, you seem to be very paused and not paused. How do you say feet on the ground? You're, the way you speak makes it very grounded. And I know you, so I know your personality type. But tell us about your character traits. And I'm interested to know on which one you, were, you think you were born with naturally, and that's how you were, and the one that you've built over time. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's interesting. I think you know, we're all born with inherently the same characters to begin with. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I do. I think that we very quickly uh, sort of lean towards certain characters as we develop. And, And again, part of that, I think, is, you know, you're a product of your environment. And so if your environment is outdoors and having to, you know, grow up on a ranch, um, I didn't grow up on a ranch, but uh, if, you, you know, if that's the thing and you grow up and you have to wake up in the morning to go uh, work your the chores, field, yep. yeah, you, you know, that that's going to shape your personality so much differently than somebody who grows up in a city who, you know, doesn't have that uh, connection to, uh, the land or, or to those kind of chores where you're working the land. And, and so, you know, I really think that everybody's kind of born with the same, 
um, characters and, and traits to begin with, but then, you know, it very quickly, uh, your environment helps shape right. different, different things. Um, and so, you know, to me, like my parents weren't very athletic, uh, at all. And, and so how did I turn into somebody who loves, you know, who really enjoys athletics and, and loves to do things that are endurance events and, and experience that? I don't know because it didn't come from my parents. But maybe actually it comes from them because it's the opposite, you know? Yeah. Like yeah my I mean, parents, my dad is a cardiologist. His job was to see old people because it's hard issues, right? And he, he's world was really much routine he would come back i remember long hours come back at 8 30 and i think i might adventures because in some ways i didn't want a life like this i want a life like you know boring <laughs> or the picture i have of his job you know like i want to travel i want to do so maybe because your parents were not athletic you still had the dna but you said i want to do you know yeah, it's in it's interesting the the DNA part, I think, you know, does play a lot into it, even though my parents weren't doing athletic things, they did want to expose me to athletic things. So they would sign me up for the swim team, they would sign me up for the soccer team, the baseball team, you know, so I was doing things um, that might not have been there, you know, it wasn't like I saw my dad running marathons, because he definitely mm-hmm. is not a runner. Um, but he encouraged me to do different, different athletic things. And so again, it's those experiences that really draw um, your characteristics out. He never introduced me to music. And so as much as I would love to play a musical instrument, I have zero like understanding of musical instruments. Um, and so, you know, again, it's like you're a product of your environment. Had my parents pushed me to learn the piano, I, I might know how to play the piano right now. Or maybe I'd be so horrible at it that, that they would have <laughs> moved me on very quickly. Again, it goes back to that sort of product of your experiences. And they did push me to join all these different sports teams. And from there, you pick up different things from coaches and from friends or yeah, yeah, from other people. And so I I really think that that's where I developed kind of this ability to endure different, um, you know, I, I feel like I have a good, good natural ability to endure for endurance events, to be able to keep myself moving, to be able to keep pushing myself. Um, And so that's something that, you know, I don't think you're born with. I mean, it's not like you you come out of the womb and you're like, I I could do a marathon, no problem. Um, It's something that you really build up. And I think that's one of the things that is important for people who want to do something is that you can't necessarily like just look at an end goal and say, I can do that. Like you need to look at an end goal and say, well, how do I get myself to there? You know, like if I can do this little bit and then from this little bit, I do this and then this and then this, yes, I can get to that end goal. Um, And I think sometimes people look at like a overreaching big goal and they say to themselves like, wow, that's way too, way too big. Like I could never do that instead of, looking at it like that, you got to set yourself up for little things along the way to really get you to understand that you can do this. And then from this, you can do this. And then from this, you can do this. And then you're at your goal. Um, And those stepping stones, you know, as, as I was growing up, it was 
playing soccer and then playing baseball. And then I had one soccer coach who really, you know, like drilled us hard on, on being in shape and fitness. And I loved it. Like I would love running the liners at the end of, at the end of practice. Oh yeah. Because it was, it was like, I don't know why, but it was just, to me, it was that hard work. uh, I thrived at I knew that the harder I worked at that, the better I would be on the soccer field. And, and that coach just, you know, for some reason had a big lasting impression on me. Um, and the way that he drilled us into fitness related to me, somebody else on the team probably hates his yeah, guts. Yeah, yeah. Do you <laughs> remember his name? Oh yeah. Dave, Dave gold, somebody else on the team probably hated his guts for it. I, I honestly, I, I kind of thrived internally on that and, and knew that like, this was getting me stronger. And, you know, I I think that was a very shaping experience for me and, and something that, you know, I can still hear him, you know, in the background yelling at us. Um, And, you know, like to me that, that helped motivate me. You should uh, go back to him and find him and tell him that, you know, I should. I should. Because you never know who you impact. Uh, and maybe he won't remember you. Maybe he will, you know, and, but how old would he be now? He'd probably be like 60 or something. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So, okay. Here's your, your goal for the weekend. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the, the main part of that podcast, which is the, I really want to do this. I've heard that so many times. People tell me, oh, you're doing this. It's great. I really want to do this. And somehow they haven't been able to. So the, the idea of this podcast is to, to see different personality types and different cultures and how they go after what they really want to do. Do you have a moment in particular you can talk about uh, that you felt that I really want to do this? Yeah. Um, interesting. There's... I could go a couple ways. I mean, obviously there's quite a few athletic things that, that I've, I've wanted to do. Um, also starting my own business, uh, is, is a big one. Um, so maybe I, I talk about starting my own business because that, that was, you know, to me, something that was a very big switch of my character. I mean, doing the athletic things, I feel like growing up, I had all this experience and, so when I came to doing a big athletic endeavor, I already sort of understood uh, a lot of what I was getting myself into. Yeah. Um, it wasn't as, you know, it was a big achievement or something that I was going after, but I kind of understood. I had a lot of building blocks, I would say, for yeah. doing the ocean row. I feel like I had a very solid foundation, whereas when I started my business, I had zero foundation. So it was m- more of this completely unknown i really want to do this but i have no clue how yes, to do it. i love this i love this and, and so i think that would be a, a a much better experience to talk about because for people who are listening to this podcast and have something that they want to do if they've got a solid foundation if they've got a solid foundation to what they're already doing and that and what they want to do plays off of that foundation it's a much easier jump for them to go out and, and go after that. If you have no foundation to what you're interested in doing, then, you know, wow, that's a big jump 
to then get into it. So with, with my business, you know, it's putting on athletic events. I put on running races, I put on triathlons. And, and so, you know, I did have a little bit of foundation in the sense that I knew what I was doing. I I knew that uh, a 5k course is 3.1 miles and you need a starting line and a finishing line, but I didn't know any of the business side and I didn't know any of the other things that go into creating that. Um, And so, you know, when I had that moment of like, I really want to do this, it was frightening because I had no, you know, no foundation for starting. Yeah. I think one of the big things that, that comes out of when you make a decision like that is to um, immerse yourself and talk to people and get an understanding of like, you know, try to try to build a couple of those building blocks so that, you know, you know, so that you have a starting foundation. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and so, you know, I decided that I was going to put on events and start organizing 5Ks and triathlons. And uh, at the time, I talked to a couple buddies and I said, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. And, you know, everybody's got input when when you start to voice what you want to be doing. Yes. And I really think that that's a key part of starting your process is talking to people and sharing what your goal is, because it's so easy to keep that goal internal and, and be afraid to talk about it, be afraid to share it because you're worried of what people are going to say. You know, they're either going to say, Hey, you're, that's, I don't understand why you'd want to start a, a, you know, how are you going to make a living off of organizing triathlons? Right. Um, And so there's, you, you open yourself up to negativity you open yourself up to positivity, but you have to start that process of opening yourself up and getting feedback, I think is, is very important and understanding that, you know, you don't have to take the negative feedback. Uh, you don't have to uh, let that dictate whether or not you're going to move forward, you know, open yourself up, get the positive and the negative and, and then you have a better learning to go forward and really focus in on the positive because those are the people who are going to be your, your right. cheerleaders in it. And those are the people who are going to keep encouraging you to go after it. I think uh, for me, you know, I, I talked with friends and they had this input and they had that input. And in the end, I, I partnered with a, with a buddy in Santa Cruz and we started putting on, uh, he had already kind of started uh, putting on some events. And so I joined him and we started putting on more events. That experience of linking up with somebody who was kind of already in that beginning phase was helpful because yeah. yeah. um, I didn't feel alone in the, in what I was trying to achieve. So I think that plays a lot into your ability to go after something when you feel you have company to share in it. Right. I think for people who have something that they really want to do, it's, it's oftentimes finding who else is interested in that. And can you together move forward and try to achieve something? And, and that can, you know, for, for people who, it's hard to make that commitment. I think it's, you know, when you have a friend or you have somebody, an acquaintance and they're, you know, you're both looking to do the same thing. I mean, if you've, if you've never gone out backpacking and gone 
on a multi-day hiking trip, it's going to be daunting for you to do it on your own. But if you have somebody else, then, you know, it just makes a lot more sense. It's not to say that you have to have somebody else in order to accomplish something, but to, you know, start building your building blocks for getting you to what you want to do. So, you know, those experiences are key when you can go with somebody, when you can sort of share the experience and share some of the original foundation for what you want to do with somebody else. I think that that's a great way of, of moving you towards your ultimate goal. What were the reasons why you wanted to create your own business? What were the roots of that energy? You're, yeah. you want to work for somebody else. You want to own your own time. What, what was the roots? It was really centered around. I was having a lot of fun competing in other people's races I was enjoying when I would go to a race and have that experience of getting out there, starting and finishing and what that feeling that I had from accomplishing, you know, that, uh, that race or that event, I wanted to share, I wanted to share that experience. And I thought like, Hey, if I start my own business, putting on races, I can share that experience with a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of people who, get intimidated by going to a race. And I wanted to really try to create an event that broke down that intimidation that was really centered around a, a welcoming experience. Because I know mm. the very first event that I went to, oh man, I was, you know, thinking that I was the only one who didn't know what <laughs> I was doing. Yeah. And, I know. and it's so, you know, that's human nature. Like, that's yeah. when we go into something that we're unsure about, we have, it's, it's total human nature to think, oh my gosh, I'm the only one here who has no clue what I'm doing. I'm supposed to do a swim and then a bike and then a yeah. run. And I look around mm. and everybody looks like they know what they're doing. I oh, must be better gear. This looks trained and like, oh, yeah. you, you know, and I think like I said, you got to open yourself up to some of that uncomfortableness. And that's something that I really feel um, is, you know, where you're going to ask later about a motto um, that I have in, in life. And I think through your uncomfortableness is, is where you make the best changes. And so if you put yourself out there and you, you get yourself into what's quote unquote, an uncomfortable experience, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about uh, about other people. You learn a lot yeah. about life because here I am at the start of a, a big triathlon and I have no clue what I'm doing. And, and, you know, you just say hi to the person next to you and they're like, Oh my gosh, I am so nervous. Like I've never done this before. And you're like, what? You've never done this. Well, I've never done this. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, suddenly there's this bond and you know, after the race, you find this person and then you chit chat and, you know, next thing you, you have a best friend. And it's something where, you know, human nature is that we often feel like we're the only ones who don't understand what's going on, but we're not. And human nature is also to, you know, like once you break down that initial icebreaker moment of talking to somebody or talking to other people around you, you find out that the community in, in all these things are, are very like respectful of each other and, and encouraging of each other. But you wouldn't know it just from looking at the crowd because, you, you know, everybody's in their wetsuit or everybody's got their bike or everybody's got their running shoes. And you think all these people know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. And so, you know, you got to open yourself up 
and, and put yourself out there to be uncomfortable and to meet other people and to immerse yourself in a situation. And, and I think that's, that's where, you know, you can really break down some of those barriers that might be keeping you from doing something is when you kind of look at that being uncomfortable as some of the best medicine for you. I love it. So there's very much an altruistic positioning of your company. You're, like you started by saying, I can have them have the experience that I have with having fun. And do you like, does that fuel you? Every time you do a race, you see these people being so happy. Is that part of the reason why you do that business? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's incredible because the events that I put on are, are, are very much geared towards the beginning athlete. And I, you know, I always go back to where I was beginning, you know, it wasn't to me, it wasn't about like how expensive of a bike I had. Cause I didn't even have a bike. I, I was borrowing a friend's bike, yeah. you know, I had somebody else's wetsuit. I was actually doing the escape from Alcatraz triathlon and I had these pair of, they must've been like kid, kids goggles. And, and they had this whole, they, so, so they have this hologram on the, on the lenses, not, <laughs> not, not that, not that I see looking out, but when people look at me, they see a hologram. Oh, right, right. Okay. A Mickey mouse or what? <laughs> no, it was of a great white shark. <laughs> so So here I am like on the boat about to jump off this boat <laughs> to swim from Alcatraz to, to San Francisco. And I, you know, I've got these kids goggles because those are all I had. And it's got this hologram of a shark on it. And, you know, people are, and I'm in, I'm in like a body, I'm in like a, uh, a body surfing, uh, boogie board surfing, like wetsuit, not even a swimming wetsuit. So I look completely out of place. I've got these goggles on with a shark hologram. So people look at me and the shark is like coming out of my eyes. Uh, you know, it's just, it, it's, uh, I, so I look at that experience and I think, how can I make people feel comfortable? Because I know I was uncomfortable in my first experience and, and, you know, that all plays into my event series and trying to get uh, people, new, new athletes, especially to feel welcome and to feel like this is for them because once they feel like they're a part of it, then the world opens up to them and, you know, they might come up to my event and do their very first 5k and it's a walk because they've never even gone 3.1 miles before. Um, and then, you know, they, they build up, they do a 10 K, they do a half marathon, they do a triathlon. You, you know, it's amazing to see how these new athletes transform from, you know, doing something that to them, a 5k is totally daunting and, and this huge undertaking to then, you know, doing their first marathon or something. And they see, you, you know, again, it's those building blocks, like you can't just it do a marathon but when you've done a 5k you understand how to train a little bit and then from a 5k you understand how to do a 10k and you build you again it's like always you're placing these building blocks and building your structure your foundation higher and higher until you know then you oh. can go out and accomplish them well it's so true and it rings so much into my brain because i started paddling only 12 years ago And I was that beginner and I was on that Iriger canoe boat and, you know, eight mile was like so long because it was 45 minutes. How did I, how am I going to do this? And 
somebody who organized that race must have been somebody like you. So I'm very thankful for that. Do you have like a success story, like a podcast? You got to do this where you see people that do a marathon and they started five years ago by doing a 5K. You got to have those stories out. Yeah, I, you know, that's, that's great. I have interviewed, uh, I do do uh, like some Facebook live stuff with some of our athletes and have chatted with them about, you know, their start. And, and, you know, it's so incredible to hear stories, you know, like where people got started, how they got started. Um, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and, you know, what you're doing with this podcast is, is very cool because, Like you said, there's a lot of people who have that, I want to do this moment, but then life and other, you know, other things get in the way of doing that. And, and how do you, how do you inspire people to try to try to, you know, not let themselves get trapped by that, uh, you know, sort of negative cassette, that negative recording that goes in their mind that says, you know, oh, I really want to do this, but then like, but, but you yeah. got this responsibility, but you got this and you got this. So, you know, then you're like, oh, well, I can't do that. I want to, but I can't, you know, and how do, how do you encourage people to sort of look at, look at that negative recording and how do they get over that? Right. How do they get through that barrier? So how did you do it on your personal uh, creation of that company? Because you'll be at the beginning, I want to do this, but I need to have so many racers in order to make enough money, but I need a website, but I need, you know, gear and, but I need to finance it. How do you, what's your, in general, or in, in that case, what is your problem solving uh, method? Do you have a method or saying, okay, I could go around, I can borrow stuff. Are you, tell me about how you approach things. Yeah. I, I mean, you have to, you have to, realize that stubbornness can be sometimes a good thing. Um, and so, you know, not wanting to give up on it, wanting to continue with it. So being stubborn a little bit in that sense. And, and because there's going to be tons of things that happen that all these little roadblocks can add into this huge giant roadblock and suddenly you can't get through it. Um, and so you have to stick with it and, and that's, that's hard work. You know, I, I think you have to be willing to put in the hard work. Uh, you can't be afraid of the hard work that is going to come with achieving your goal. Yeah. Uh, now, you can mitigate that hard work by starting out small and then slowly chipping away at the things that you need to do. So, you know, I didn't know how to run a business. I didn't know anything about uh, what equipment I needed. And, and so you start out and you think, oh, well, I need cones. And then you get some cones and then you know, I need this. And then you need this. You borrow stuff. You can rent stuff. That's always a good way of, of you know, for starting a business per se. You know, um, if, you're, if, if you're able to do some of that, then you have to realize that, you know, your first couple races might not be your best races, right? Like you're going to learn a lot in those first couple times that you're putting on an event. If you're starting out with anything, you know, you're going to learn a lot and you have to take those negative experiences or those constructive criticism experiences and use those as like fuel to your fire, because it's very easy to use those as like, oh, wow, I didn't do this right. I didn't do that right. 
I shouldn't be doing this, you know, but instead take that constructive criticism and really use that as fuel. Like, wow, well, if I improve this, if I, if I take this and I, and I, I fix this problem and I fix this problem and I, I use this, always look at it as constructive because that's mm-hmm. how, again, you improve. And so if you're, if you know, any of that negativity, any of that negative comments or people saying you can't do this or you can't do that, you know, take it as constructive criticism and then learn how you can do it. Right. So if they say, how are you ever going to, you know, do a marathon? Uh, You don't even know how to run. Well, okay. Take that as constructive criticism. Like I've got to learn how to run. Like you're right. You know, that's your your, uh, criticism is spot on. I, you know, for me to run a marathon, yes, I, I need to know how to run. And, and then I'm going to figure out how to run. I, it might just be, I need to figure out how to run for one minute right now. And that's perfect. I, I ran for a minute now, you know, uh, next week I'll run for a minute and a half and then for two minutes. You know, so mm-hmm. take that constructive criticism in a very positive way as, as like ways that you can use to accomplish your goal. Right. Mm. Well, it takes strength, though, to to be able to look at it that way, because you, it's easy to say, yeah, I can't run. I might as well not try. Right. But you have to listen to your fire. Like, well, he tells me I can't run, but I want to run. And, you know, maybe you shouldn't listen to that guy for a minute and, and just do that one minute run that you want. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, again, it's everything you have to look at as a, as a part of that foundation to your building block. I mean, take their criticism, cut it, cut it down by, you know, 99% and then figure out how to just do 1% of it. Because once you can figure out how to do 1% of it, the other 99% are achievable, right? So if, if you've never done anything and you figure out how to do 1% of it, then the 99% that's left is definitely achievable because you've already figured out 1%. It's when you don't, it's when you Mm -hmm. can't figure out that 1% that then, you know, the rest of the 99% is definitely going to be unachievable because you haven't even put in the time to figure out that 1%. If it's just what gear I need um, and, and figuring out what gear you need to do X event or what uh, gear you need or what understanding you need to start a business or, you know, figure out just 1% because from there, the 99% starts to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Did you have the right people around you when you had Roblox that said, you'll um, be fine, you could figure it out? Or did you feel like you had to create it your own? Yeah, no, I mean, I really feel like I had to sort of create my own and it, you know, it's something that when you're immersed in it and you find this roadblock, it, it's a natural tendency to want to try to figure it out. Um, so it's something that you don't, you know, I don't, I don't think you have to per se understand all the roadblocks that are going to come your way, but when they come, you have to embrace yourself in it and, and really, you know, work hard to figure it out. I mean, the internet is incredible. There's so much on there. If, if, you know, if, if you've never had experience doing ice climbing, there are thousands of things on the internet on 
ice climbing and, and how to do it, what gear you would need. Um, you know, and, and so it's, it's so incredible how much, uh, the internet can, can be a resource. You know, if it's, I don't understand accounting, well, you can go online and do a tutorial on accounting and understand how to now do your accounting for your business. Um, so you don't have to have these skills, but it's something that, again, you have to figure out that 1%. Right? And, and there's a lot of resources out there. You can, you know, you can also ask friends and people who might be in a similar, you know, there's, you, you might have a friend who's an accountant. You might have a friend who does ice climbing. You know, there's, there's talking to those people. And, you know, with the internet and, and today, the, a way that we can get in touch with people you know, anybody who's got a YouTube video on ice climbing, you can email them and, and try to reach out to them and, and connect with them on LinkedIn or, you know, some other platform and you can ask them. And most people will, will share because they know where they got their start and how they got started. And, and so, you know, I feel that that's very important in anything that we do that, you know, you, you might have experience, um, you might want to do this thing that you're trying to accomplish, but you in your own right have experience in something else that somebody else might want to be looking at. And I think it's real important that we always share what we understand, what we know. Anybody who's ever asked me like, Hey, I want to do an ocean row. How do I get started? I mean, I'll spend an insane amount of time with them to, to try to share what they're going to experience, what they're going to need, how they can better prepare themselves. And, and I feel like that's, that's a huge, mm-hmm. a, a huge responsibility that we should all share, mm-hmm. you know, sharing our knowledge, what knowledge we have to other people. I feel like that's really, really crucial. I love it. Look, it's a, and also I would say, I would add to this, the first step is crucial. Like this idea I had maybe three weeks ago of doing that podcast. I did exactly what you, you just said. There was a guy who wanted a podcast on me and I called him and said, Hey, how do you do your podcast? Cause he had the microphone. Do I need a microphone? No, you could do it on the zoom call and you just can record the zoom. Oh, really? And then what else? Well, the quality is going to be there, but maybe you want to audit. If you want to audit, there's a free software you could download. It's called audacity. And you don't have to audit. You can just put it raw like this if that's your style. You don't have to de- do any edit. Okay. But if you want to make it cool, you could put a little music on it. So I called my friend in France. Say, hey, can you give me a little jingle of your music? Yeah, take it if you want. I put it there. I didn't know how to extract it in the MP3. So I asked this other friend, Mark, who's an audio engineer. Say he did it in two minutes. The same afternoon, same afternoon of the, uh, the I had the app to put the podcast and I had the music and I had the Audacity downloaded on my computer. The same afternoon, I had a podcast on that was shared on iTunes. So, and it was just the first step saying, I want to do this. But the other buts are, yeah, but am I going to make any money doing a podcast? No. Am I going to create a, an audience? No. Am I doing this to change the world? Yes, I'd like to, but. You know, it's all these no, no, no that stopped me from doing the podcast at the first place. And I decided I'm not going to listen to this. I'm doing that podcast because I want to. And we'll see where it goes, right? So the first step. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's awesome because that's that's really, you know, like 
even if you do something, if you really want to do this or do that, like look at it as just a hobby, right? I mean, I wasn't, when I started putting on events, I had two other jobs. And so mm-hmm. it was something where I'm, I'm trying to do this. I'm, I'm sort of tickling my toes in the water, so to speak. I'm, I have two other jobs that I'm also working. It was an insanely like stressful time in the sense of like working two jobs plus trying to put on events. But, you know, then slowly I got, I could get rid of one of the jobs and then got rid of both of the other jobs to just do it full time. And, you know, you don't have to dive in a hundred percent always, you know, if you want to do that marathon, like do a 5k to, you know, get your feet wet, so to speak. If you really, you know, if you really enjoyed that 5k, well then, yeah, then it makes sense to go after and do a 10k and then a half and then a full marathon. But it's, it's sometimes, you know, we feel like it's either all in or nothing. And, you know, sometimes it's just like you said, like, Hey, I'll, I'll start a podcast. I'll, I'll, do one podcast, you know, I got this stuff. Yeah. Like, let me, let me try it once. Well, Oh, this was fun. So, you know, you're now you're, you're interviewing people nonstop. And, and it's something where had you never just wanted to try it um, and sort of gotten your toes yeah. wet by that first experience, you wouldn't know that this is so enjoyable to you. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and so yeah. really, you know, like that's important for people. And I really trust in the process that you don't know where it's going to take you. You have to trust the university. Like, okay, I'm doing like, this is my 14th episode uh, or 15th, three weeks ago. Maybe in three months, I'll have a hundred. Maybe after a hundred, somebody's going to listen to it and say, hey, we love how you interview people. Can you do a, a TV show? I have no idea if it's going to happen or not. And you have actually experience interviewing 100 people. So you have something to show for it. That was not the intent I started with, but it's a reality. Yeah, I've interviewed 100 people, you know? So trust the process. You don't know where it's going to take you, but do it anyways. Because if it comes from the heart, it can only be positive. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so true. Like trusting in that process. You know, if you go out and you want to do something, you know, volunteer, um, if volunteer it, go, go, you know, spend a weekend learning about this or, or, you know, take time to, to study it on the internet, you know, take that time, you see if it continues to spike your curiosity. Um, if it doesn't spike your cur- if it doesn't continue to spike your curiosity, then, you know, everybody's got hundreds of ideas and, and goals that pop through their mind. And it's, it's, you know, like, how do you know? Well, I'm not passionate about, you know, how do I know what my passion is? Well, you don't have to know you, you just have to follow your curiosity. And if, if you see one thing and, you know, you, you study it or you volunteer or you try a 5k and you say like, wow, this was a lot of fun. Then you keep following your curiosity and you stay with it. If, if it's not, you know, if, if it's not what you fully enjoy, well then, there's no harm, no foul. Like you, you, you got a little bit of an experience and you know that that's not what you want to be doing. And I think we oftentimes think it's all in or nothing. And, you know, how do I know if it's my passion or not? It doesn't, it's, it's just your curiosity. You know, I'd love to learn about uh, how to navigate by the stars. And, and so 
earlier this year, I, I learned a little bit and was like, this is fascinating. Like I, I need to it. study more about it. Right. And so, yeah. y- you know, if, if, if you don't test out some of that curiosity, it doesn't have to be this big passion play of like what you're going to spend the rest of your life doing. It's just for right now, this is what makes me curious and I'm going to learn a little bit about it. And if I learn a little bit about it and I like it, stay with it, continue to, 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 to follow your curiosity. Right. I love it. Yeah. I always say, don't look for happiness because the, we have an idea of happiness, what it would be a bigger house, more cars, a better job, you know, bigger salary, but that's what we think happiness would be, but search for what makes you vibrate. You know, what you love to be in a forest smelling and the smell is great. Do more of that. Go to a different forest. It could be that you could say thing. You like this taste of the wine, try different wines. And then you learn about wine. You like to interact with kids, do more of this. You know, whatever is your feeling of, wow, I really love this. Just do more of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'd love to be with you. I want to be more with you, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> we could sit here and chat all day. I know. Well, we have to go to conclusions because I want to be respectful of your time. But for the conclusion, I've got three things. First one is if you have to summarize or give one takeaway to the listeners, one thing you they should remember like the exerg of the whole condensed uh, wise thoughts that you have in your brain. <laughs> what would that be? No pressure. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no pressure. Um, just solve world peace in, in, in less than 10 words. Right. <laughs> it, you know, I, I think it comes down to opening yourself up, being willing to put yourself in an uncomfortable situation and learn from it and really take the positive, the negative, all of it as constructive, and then, you know, build off of that. And if the, you know, if it spikes your curiosity and you enjoy it, it's not going to, it's not going to be uncomfortable. It's you're going to love that experience and you're going to love hearing that positive or uh, Mm -hmm. constructive criticism, and you're going to continue to follow it and you can, going to continue to pursue it. And that's, that's where you then find out that you can continue and achieve your overall goal. Mm-hmm. So it's opening yourself up. It's being comfortable in that uncomfortable situation. And it's trusting that if you're still curious about it and it's still interesting to you, that it's worth, worth pursuing. Perfect. Question number two. The reveal of the song. Uh, yeah. Uh, tell me your, the song you listen to that puts you in such a good mood. So, so are, are we allowed to like play music while doing this or? Yeah. I, I hope it, if it, if we can hear it. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think we will try. So okay. there's a song by Kid Cudi um, and it's, it's a song called surfing and he's not talking about like actual surfing, but he's talking about, you know, uh, creating your own wave to surf, right? Wow. So, you know, in his life, he's creating his own wave. He's surfing his own wave. He's doing, you know, he's making his own music. He's doing this. And so I think, you know, to me, it's it's a really, you know, like just pump up good feeling song 
because if you're trying to do something, it's about creating your own wave, making your own momentum to, to go out and pursue. So we'll, we'll try this. If it comes yeah, through, let's do it. Yeah. If not, people just look up Kid Cudi surfing. It's a mumble a little bit. <laughs> no, we can't hear it. Oh, you're starting to dance. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the gist of it. To me, you know, it's got the horns. Um, it's just it's just a pump up song. Oh wow, that was just pleasurable to see your smile. And <laughs> now I'm actually aching <laughs> because it was so contagious. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Carlo, where can people follow you and learn more about you if they want to do a triathlon? What, where do they go? Yeah. So um, my business is, it's a women's triathlon and running race series. It's called the Mermaid Series. Um, so mermaid, you know, swimming, biking, running, uh, mermaidseries.com. And they can learn more about the events there. Uh, cool. Or you can also look up my name, Carlo, and last name, Ficino, carlofacino.com and, and learn a little bit about some of the other things that I do. Tell me about, oh, okay, I know we have to stop, but tell me about the next challenge you're doing. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, I, my, my, my big challenge will be next summer, I'm going to do a solo row from San Francisco to Hawaii. Uh, it's kind of retracing our steps. We, we You and I were in a, a boat that rode Monterey to Hawaii. Uh, so this, this is going to be a replay of that, but also something new in the sense that uh, doing it solo. And so looking forward to uh, rowing from California to Hawaii in June of 2022. Yeah. And, and you haven't said the other part that you're going to be towing a kayak with yeah. me in it. <laughs> and, and right, right. So, you know, we had that, we had that uh, idea of potentially leaving this year together and of course i i wasn't able to get my trip um together in time and you you had your kayak trip and and now we're both looking at next year so yes i think uh, i think now we have to make that joint departure uh together oh my god that would be probably one of the best days in my life when we take off together Yes, I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that a lot. All right, my brother. Listen, thank you so much for your time and, and all your ideas and, and sharing uh, all these, these ideas and, and yourself, your life. Appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me, Cyril. Thanks, Carlo. Uh, thanks, all uh, listeners, and for coming back again and again. I'm your host, Cyril. And remember, life is an adventure. Live it. Yes. Yeah. Sweet. That was awesome. Great. Uh, great to see you, man. That was great. Yes. Right on. <laughs> great to see you, Cyril. Great to see you, Carl. Okay, okay, have a good you. one. Bye-bye, yep. my brother. Bye.